Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Everything Economics. I am your host, Talia Murdoch, and would like to begin by acknowledging that we are fortunate to be able to gather on the unceded territory of the Coast Salish people, where this podcast is recorded. Today, I am joined by Patrick Holt, a computer engineer who is undertaking his second degree in economics. He contributed to the Superheroes and Economics book that I've spoken to many authors from and authored an episode about Spider-Man. So I hope you enjoyed this interview. Well, you you were the first sort of um, contact I had with this field when you, you messaged me or you tweeted at me about an episode being quiet for a lot of time. And then I went onto your profile and saw that you had been a part of this. So I have to thank you for doing that because it kind of started this really fun set of interviews that I've been able to do. Yeah, I was, uh, I was glad so many people uh, volunteered you know, to go ahead and be interviewed. Yeah, it's really fun. And I think with a lot of research that people do in books that they write, it doesn't, it doesn't always get talked about outside of their circles. So I really like being able to offer that to people as well. Mm-hmm. Cool. Now, now is the perfect time for anything related to comics and I guess kind of popular culture and relating them back to academic subjects. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It helps because everyone knows, has an idea of who all the characters are these days. So it's not just like for geeks anymore. It's for everyone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Very accessible. Yeah. So, so what made you want to get involved with this, this book that Brian O'Rock sort of started? So honestly, kind of what happened is I, I heard Brian on another podcast mention a book about super, superhero and economics. And I thought, well, I really like superheroes and I really have always been interested in economics. So I, I couldn't find it for pre-order on Amazon. So I just I reached out to him and asked if he knew kind of like when the book was coming out. And he wrote me back and said, well, the book hadn't actually been written yet. Um, and by the way, are, are you interested in, in superheroes and kind of the subject matter and, and why? And so, you know, I told him I grew up reading comic books, you know, since I was very, very young. And yeah, there, there are certain things, certain themes and, and actions in comic books that kind of stick out that you might wonder why, why is a person doing this when, when they have access to these powers or, you know, to other means? He's like, yeah, that, that's really interesting. Could you write a chapter on that? Cool. And so I told him, I said, well, you know, you know, understand that I am, I'm not an economist. I, I have no problem with the the comic part of things, the comic book part of things. But uh, I'm just now picking up again my my studies in economics. And he's like, no, that's, that's not a problem. We have, we're trying to get uh, kind of a cross section of both, you know, practicing. Or, or teaching economists, but we also want people that, that read comic books that can make it a little bit more accessible. And uh, my wife was finishing her PhD at the time, and she's like, yeah, you ought to do that. Writing's fun. Yeah. And so uh, I decided I'd give, it a, I'd give it a go. Cool. And that's that's really out. interesting that you just yeah, sort of... Yeah, it was an interesting process. Yeah, that you just reached out saying like, hey, I want to buy your book. I was like, why don't you be in yeah. my book? 
I just wanted to purchase a thing. Yeah, so. yeah. Not, not be part of it. So that's pretty awesome. Um, how, how did you come to doing a chapter about Spider-Man? So I kind of thought about some of the things over and over again in comics that, that kind of bugged me growing up. And, um, and Spider-Man and Peter Parker, his, his alter ego, that always kind of baffled me, even as a kid, is that you have this person who's, in addition you know, to having the superpowers and being able to you know, swing from webs, a core defining aspect of his character is just how intelligent he is and how he was intelligent before he got his superpowers. So why would that person always be limited to you know, being kind of impoverished instead of using their abilities, you know, being so smart and being gifted at things like invention and, and, and like his webbing, which, you know, He's obviously talented in chemistry. Why doesn't he use that more to his advantage? And I noticed that in the 1970s growing up, and I think it's even more pertinent now in an age where we have, you know, folks like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk and making your own fortune via the Internet. It's even you know, more accessible than ever, than ever for somebody who's calendar caliber and I kind of felt like Spider-Man is a character even if you don't read comics you're pretty familiar with him uh, same as Batman and I think it sets up a nice dichotomy against a character like Batman which you know faces no resource constraints whatsoever because they're just so filthy rich yeah and I, you know I, I knew for sure I'm really good at remembering little sections of comic books, even years later, for example. So I knew I'd be kind of able to document and find specific examples that fit what I wanted to write. So that's, that's good. That would have definitely helped because I mean, it's so it's so dense. Like, how long how long has Spider Man been going for? Uh, since 1961, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good that you have that memory. I think that's something that I would struggle with is like um, getting into the into the micro components of it. Just being like, and this mm -hmm. specific example from this comic book is a good explanation. Yeah, I'm really this. good at remembering useless little bits of information. Hey, they're not useless. So you put them to use here. <laughs> well, useful in this guy. In yeah. This case, yeah. Cool. So what did you sort of, um, like I have the abstract for, for your chapter and it seems like you've already said you're kind of exploring this thing that he is quite powerful and very smart but is impoverished. What did you sort of explore from that context and learn, if anything, about Spider-Man, like through an economic lens? So, especially in the early Spider-Man comics, um, and, and keep in mind, in this world, you're, you're talking about a 15, 16-year-old boy who... So the very first issue of Spider-Man, the, the Spider-Man title proper, you have a 16-year-old boy who overhears his, his primary caregiver, Aunt May, telling the landlord, well, I don't have rent money. Um, if you can just give us a little bit more time, I, I can pay rent. So already you see... I, a teenage boy 
faced with a constraint of potentially being homeless. And I mean, at this point within the character arc, you have a, a kid who just recently has gotten superpowers. Um, his uncle Ben, his other caregiver has been killed and he's facing kind of a spider on the wall, as you would say, these adult issues that he's overhearing. So that kind of, those kind of problems stay within the Spider-Man storyline, even up until, uh, till today, every now and then Marvel comics, uh, they, they briefly did make him rich for, for a brief amount of time, but kind of a, an over, uh, or a very strong theme in, in any Spider-Man comic is that Peter Parker is kind of unlucky and will always be poor no matter what. But when you read into the character's story and you look at all the, all the things happening around him, it's like this person doesn't necessarily need to be poor. Um, and specifically, he can he can make money using, and I, I kind of break up the two terms. So you know, we have the term human capital, and then we all. I also would say then you know superheroes have a superhuman capital component, and so all of Peter Parker's spider powers, uh, like enhanced strength, enhanced agility, being able to stick to walls, those are all part of his superhuman capital. But he was always smart. That was, he always had that human capital. He's a kid that in high school not only has access to, uh, well, he kind of goes through a strange high school when you consider he has access to atomic energy experiment demonstrations. Yeah. Um, some kind of uh, a, a very well well-stocked staff, chemistry lab. But he's, he's able to, to create his webbing just from, from chemicals he takes from the high school lab. Um, he's able to reformulate the webbing in, in a matter of months. So regardless if he'd ever gotten bitten by the radioactive spider, he always had this great intellect that would allow him to invent things that he, you know, he could sell or, or patent for profit. And so I wanted to kind of explore why he chooses not to do that. I mean, if we, if we look at things like opportunity cost and there it gets kind of tricky because, well, the, what's the next best thing Peter Parker could be doing if he's not being Spider-Man? Well, he could be holding down a steady job. He could be in one alternate future. He sells the patent for his wedding to 3M and, you know, lives a very nice, happy lifestyle. Um, but yet for some reason he chooses to forgo all that to be Spider-Man. Now, in some regards, his actions as Spider-Man have saved the earth and the universe once or twice at least. So it's kind of hard to put a, to put a price or a value on that. But I think again, especially for readers coming up in the internet age, more and more the question will be asked is like, why, you know, why is this person always poor? He, he has means and methods to, uh, to do better in today's uh, day and age than always having to take, um, 
well, I mean, essentially now would be the gig economy. You know, he takes a, a freelance photographer position. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, he really wants to be an academic and a teacher. That, that's his early on his goals. He, he wants to be a professor. Um, and throughout the, the history of the comic, uh, he, he can't even do that because something will happen and he has to, you know, go and get up and leave his class for, for weeks at a time to go, you know, into space with the Avengers or something. Yeah. Go save the world. But see, today you could just, you know, have a Coursera course. True. You record all your courses online and, and teach remotely. So I think there's a, I think if I was a, growing up today, that would that would stick out to me. As I, I hear about people like Steve Jobs, I hear about people like Elon Musk, and how they made their fortune on the internet. And here's a character that you know could be doing the same thing. And to Marvel's credit, like I say, briefly a few years ago, they they did do a story arc where he does exactly that. Um, about the same time I was writing a chapter. Oh, interesting. Um, I think that probably sort of the the reason he chooses to be Spider-Man instead of going and doing the whole, like, holding a steady job would be a lot to do with his backstory as well because he just seems to be, like, a really empathetic, caring young man. So it's probably saying that a lot of superheroes' faces, they have this burden of being in a position to be able to do something more for, you know, with Superman as, like, the greater good... Mm-hmm. And it would be, I think that Peter Parker would struggle neglecting his powers to just look after himself and make himself rich. Like, I think he's got that kind of, that kind of attitude and personality where, and yeah, he's like, he's a teenage boy, so you probably would just want to be getting around it and fighting criminals. It would be just what I would choose if I was 16. <laughs> well, and there, I mean, to your point, Part of his origin story is, um, you know, very quickly after he discovers he has these powers, he, he enters a, a contest on TV where he, where he has to wrestle a wrestler and stay in the ring for, I think, two minutes, and then he, he would win some money. Um, and he, he can easily do that. He makes a very kind of quick and dirty disguise, wins the money, goes to collect it, and... Um, as he walks away counting his money, there's a, a thief that, that just robbed the producer as well, um, being chased by the, by the police. And, um, you know, the police are yelling, stop, you know, stop him. And he just kind of lets the guy run by. And the, the cop asks him, well, why didn't you just stop the guy? You could have just tripped him or something. And he said, well, you know, that's, that's not really my problem. And it's that same thief that later kills his Uncle Ben. So yeah, early on the the expectation is is set that because you you know, for lack of a better term, are greedy, you paid a high price. It cost somebody their life, and it was somebody dear to you. Yeah. But he, or in the early issues again, because at that point he's left with one elderly caregiver, and Aunt May in the early issues often has has medical problems where again he is. He is put into a position where he needs to somehow make money to pay for her medical bills. 
and often winds up having to use kind of more mundane means like working at the Daily Bugle as the, the freelance photographer uh, versus where he, you know, he, he does actually approach some scientists in the lab about selling him or selling them his, his webbing. And uh, the kind of neat thing about Spider-Man's webbing is that it dissolves after about an hour. That's why New York City, New York City is not covered in webs. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they say, well, you know, we, that doesn't do us any good if it just breaks down after an hour. He's like, well, you know, give me a, a few months and I can, I can redo the, the formula and uh, give you a, a new form. It doesn't break down. And they're like, well, we don't have that kind of time. So he, he doesn't make the money that method. But again, it gives a hint that he's a really talented chemist. And he's constrained for time because of Aunt May's health problems when, in the amount of time he needs to, to earn this money to pay her bills. But he could have come back to that later and, you know, reformulated that formula. And again, you know, he, he lives in New York City and he's a, a very smart kid. He could go to the library and look up how to patent something and patent his formula and sell it to 3M or... I can't think of some of the other companies at the time of that writing that would have been interested in such a chemical formula, but yeah, you know, I think um, looking, stock industries would have been for sure. Yeah, as well. But then I guess and, does he want it to be weaponized? <laughs> and he also gives up a lot of. I mean, he gives up a lot of personal happiness to be Spider-Man. It costs him his marriage. It costs him. Uh, a semblance of a normal life. So there's there's a lot of opportunities he does forego um, to be Spider-Man, and I, I would say it's part of his character is that he's happy-go-lucky, and so he he obviously does enjoy swinging through the city and stopping crime. Um, but yeah, I think some of it to your point is he has to serve a greater good. And so he kind of bears that burden with uh, as best he can and scrapes by, you know, living with a roommate or uh, joining super teams briefly that pay stipends. Yeah, for sure. Um, So... Something I do want to talk about is you you wrote you wrote this chapter and you're obviously very very well versed with Spider-Man. How does the and I hope that you've seen it um, into the Spider-Verse change any of these theories that you sort of come up with? Um, into the Spider-Verse really doesn't change so much anything um, because the. At one point, I, like I said, I mentioned in the book, there is an alternate timeline where Peter Parker has, has sold his webbing and has become rich. Yeah. Um, and into the Spider-Verse, this shows you all these alternate universes where, you know, Peter Parker's life has gone down different paths. Um, so in the in the opening of the movie, which hopefully by now isn't, isn't spoiling it for anybody. Yeah, if you haven't you're, seen you're it. Introduced, Stop listening. Go watch it. It's yeah. amazing. Come back. We won't spoil the ending, but you know the, the the first 
Peter Parker version we're, we're introduced to is a very successful Peter Parker. Um, who, yeah, I mean, here's a version that tried to kind of cash in on his, uh, his persona just about every way he can. You know, he mentions having the Christmas album and the, the ice cream pops. Yep. I, I forget some of the other examples. Um, so it does give us a alternate view of how Peter's life could have turned out. Um, yeah, I guess... We don't really... Oh, I was just going to say, I guess merch would be a really easy way for someone like Spider-Man to make money because, you know, he's a young kid. And if we're talking about these days, like today, people love merch. So yeah, just put your mm -hmm. face on everything and sell it. Yeah, well, <laughs> in America, we've seen one example of that. <laughs> yes. Good point. Unfortunately, but, but yeah, merchandising is a uh, is one way. And, and in fact, in, in other comics, uh, like in DC's universe, um, with Superman, they've had to make mention within the universe that Superman does not allow his likeness to ever be used for merchandising, or if, it, if any money that is made from a company profiting from his image, they have to they have to give to charity. Yeah, okay. That suits Superman. Um, yeah, yeah, he's a very, very big blue boy scout, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it, it would be very easy to kind of like license your image if you're Spider-Man. And um, yeah, you could probably make a killing just posing for uh, selfies or, you know, photographs with people in New York. Yeah, you could get that startup capital to be able to go and write research papers yeah, on webbing exactly. and chemistry. All right, so he, he's managed to, in, in we'll call the, the normal Spider-Man, the kind of like the Marvel, it's technically the 616 universe, but we'll call it the Prime universe. You know, he's he's made all this stuff on, you know, the the means and methods that, I, that are available to a high school student. So stuff he can either afford with his allowance. Um, presumably he's not stealing from the high school for the chemicals. He must be given the kind of the permission to use them as he sees fit. Um, whatever he can buy at Radio Shack, which was amusing in the book because uh, Brian wrote me back and said I need to put a footnote explaining what Radio Shack was since they're no longer in business. Oh, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. Which to me is funny because I grew up at Radio Shack, but um, to anybody that's wondering, it was kind of the store where all the electronic hobbyists could get whatever they needed. Uh, you know, here's here's somebody, a kid sitting in his bedroom making web shooters and tracking devices and his webbing, the the high pressure cartridges that hold his webbing and, and spell it. So, the kids, uh, you know, he's not without 
his motivation and and means. So I'm sure he could come up with several ways. And again, I, I think you see into the Spider Verse where you you have a Peter Parker that was maybe a little bit more entrepreneurial in spirit, or willing to be entrepreneurial in spirit and take risks and kind of you know profit a little bit from his. He he profited greatly. I mean, look at what they had in their backyard. Yeah. With his little spider cave, so. Yeah, he, he's, he's the kind of the Peter Parker I was writing about that could have been. Yeah, cool. Did you have a favorite um, Spider-Man out of that movie? Hmm. I did. I've, I've always, uh, because I have kind of a goofy sense of humor, Spider-Ham. Yeah, Spider-Ham was uh, great. Which even when he was in the comics back in the eighties, I always got kicked out of. So, so Spider Ham was in the comics. Oh yeah, Spider Ham dates back to the to the mid nineteen eighties. Oh cool! I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Both um, both DC and Marvel had kind of a uh, a brief line of comics with uh, uh, anthropomorphic animals as superheroes. Awesome. I liked um, Spider Noir. I thought I thought he was pretty oh, funny. Spider Noir. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a perfect role for Nick Cage. Oh, absolutely. He just gives his all to everything. Um, but yeah. no, I thought that movie was great. It was it was really it was really fun. So, all right, back to your book. Is there anything else that we haven't haven't talked about that you? that you want to mention? Uh, well, I think one of the things I noticed that comics in particular might be a good way, method of demonstrating uh, economic concepts would be the concept of uh, negative and positive externalities because pretty much anywhere there's superheroes, there's a lot of uh, property damage done to things, uh, yeah. inadvertent property damage, which I think is a good example of, you know, you're walking along New York, enjoying your your tour, and all of a sudden uh, a big chunk of building facade falls down almost on top of you. That would be exciting, though. It would be exciting. There's probably yeah. a bit of a positive and negative externality, though. Well, I mean, you know, the the positive externality is the goblin bomb that was going to hit you instead hit, hit the building mean, because yeah. Spider-Man. Um, but if you're the landlord of that building, uh, you know, you got to repair that stuff. That's that's something that's kind of always always stood out to me. For even as a kid, is watching movies and reading comic books, is kind of wondering who goes behind and cleans up and fixes everything after the battles are done. And um, I think there's a lot of neat economic ideals in that. You know, what, what is the unemployment rate in New York City in the Marvel Universe? It should be, like, zero. Yeah. Because they have to always be in need of plumbers, carpenters, electricians. Totally. Um, to 
I mean, people should be coming from all over the world because there should be so many job openings. Because, I mean, city's always getting Magneto destroyed. Comes, yeah, well, you know, or, or they, at one point, the Isle of Manhattan is lifted up and almost put in the orbit. Well, even if you set it back down safely, all the plumbing and the electricity has to be reconnected. Yeah. All that has to be fixed. Um, and then again, if Spider-Man saves the world, even if, if you're not aware of it, you're not dead, so you you know you benefit quite positively from whatever uh, battle or you know fight he was in that resulted in you know all the life on Earth not going extinct. Yeah, for so sure. I think I think those are fun, neat little ways, and I think that's kind of like where Brian, you know, where he seems to shine is is being able to come up with all these neat ways to teach economics and make it you know, really, really accessible and fun. Yeah, he seems like a really, um, really great teacher to have. Um, I yeah. would love to see a comic series about the cleanup. I think that would be so interesting. and it's um, a, a comic series about what? Like all of the cleanup work? You know, oh, the true uh, yeah. heroes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it was called Damage Control. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, written in the 1980s. It oh, was, it has been done. Oh, cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look for that. It's been done. Yeah, it, it was for Marvel. It's been done it about an insurance company that insures and, and has to go in and clean up after, after everything. They, they kind of briefly. I don't know if you've seen uh, the, the first new set of Spider-Man movies. Yes. Yeah. 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 They do a bit. Yeah. So the, the Vulture. And they're, I think, subcontracted to both the government and a company that's referred to as Damage Control. And Damage Control is uh, owned by Stark Industries. And they're, they're the ones that would normally clean up and uh, fix everything. I think in the original comic, they, they were basically an insurance company. Yeah. So who knows what premiums you had to pay. I think that would be incredibly high. Peter Parker probably wouldn't be able to afford them. Yeah. Without being part of the Avengers or something, you could totally, if you were, if you were the Avengers, you could spin that. Um, we're not just saving the world, but we're creating jobs. Yes, we are. Uh, we are actively adding to the velocity of money. Yeah, it's a bit of a stretch, but you could do it. You're welcome. <laughs> Times two. It'd be a very Tony Stark thing to say. Oh yeah, I could definitely see him doing that. Any any plans to do more work like this in the future? I um I have a couple of ideals written down later for after I finished off my degree and uh, have a little bit more time. There's yeah. I, mean, I told Brian if he ever wants to write a sequel, to let me know. I I could maybe do another chapter. I had not not had to write at that level in like 20 years so it was uh challenging now it's, you know luckily my wife at that time was still a uh, adjunct professor in teaching yeah how useful and she was she yes yeah <laughs> she was finishing her phd and she had a very big look of disappointment on her face when i showed her the email where it said where brian says no no we want this to be you know not quite so formal and she was upset, like she thought it should be formal. Um, well, she wanted me to suffer. Oh, 
okay, okay. Yeah, she thought you were getting off too easily. Yeah, because she she was literally putting the the very final touches on her uh, her defense. Good for her. Publications. Yeah. So it's an it's interesting. That that was also an interesting experience. The kind of the difference between academic publication and publication like this, more for the general public. Yeah. Um, I, I like this way much better. Me too. I. Yeah, I I sort of always toyed with the idea of going back to uni to do a postgrad um, and to, like, do a master's and everything. But the further away from that I am and the more I do this podcast, like, I just don't think I would like it. I couldn't blame you. Yeah. I'd say if you're having fun and, and this is what you like doing. For sure. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. Again, that was Patrick Holt. You can find Patrick on Twitter at Holt underscore PN. He has a great habit of tweeting some really interesting economic and finance articles. So take a look there if you want to see more from Patrick. As always, thank you so much for listening. You can follow the show on Twitter at Every Economics or find the whole network at Cave Goblins across all social media platforms. We have so many shows on our network that might interest anyone from any background. So do head to our website, capegoblins.com and check them out. If you want to support the show, the best thing to do is to leave a review on iTunes. It is free, it only costs your time and it gets us more exposure. We also have a Patreon, that's patreon.com slash capegoblins if that's something you're interested in as well. Thank you again for listening. Be kind to each other. My name is Talia Murdoch and this has been Everything Economics. Everyone is Jonas is a live-streamed competitive role-playing podcast hosted by me, Doug Vandalay. Me, Eric Ivanovich. And me, Talia Murdoch. On twitch.tv forward slash cavegoblins every Monday at 7.30 p.m. PST. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.